0: Welcome to the Unmothered Podcast. Join me as we explore all the feelings and confusion surrounding the mother-daughter bond. Laugh with me, cry with me, and learn new ways to cope with what can be a very lonely existence without a mother to rely on. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Hello, peeps, welcome in. Today I have the honor of having a guest speaker on here and also a personal friend of mine, Andrea Nyberg. Andrea and I met probably around seven years ago at a leverage conference that Kathy Lipp put on and we have just become little soulmates ever since. We have stayed in touch and we usually do a little breakfast every now and then, meet together somewhere and chit-chat about all the things. And when Andrea said she was going to start writing this book, I got very excited because I love this book and I love the message of this book. Her, She's a first-time author of the book, I'm Such a Masterpiece. She is an author, speaker, and photographer passionate about reframing the collision of faith and mental health and its impact on our identity, emotions, and relationships. So this is her debut debut book, I'm Such a Masterpiece, and invites others who are facing a crisis of faith and identity to consider that pain and hope can hold hands and a mess can still be a masterpiece. Andrea holds a Master of Arts in Educational Leadership from Gateway Seminary and serves in various leadership roles in her church and community. Andrea, I'm so excited (laughs) you're here. That
1: makes Um,
0: me sound so fancy. (laughs) I know, you sound so professional. (laughs) So I am just excited that I have this book in my hands. I read almost the whole thing and I was just, I loved the way you wrote it. I loved the prompter things for people. I love the prayers at the end. I just think it's Mm -hmm. such a beautiful book, but I want to dive into the specifics of it. And first, I just want to start off by just asking, like, what was the narrative in your family growing up?
1: Mm. I've thought a lot about this and something I that kept coming back to me was be safe. Mm. So I'm from the South. I grew up in Memphis. And it's like every time we were saying goodbye, it was like, hey, love you. Be safe. Oh. And I realized it's kind of it's like cute, but it's like this narrative of mm-hmm. Almost like don't get hurt. And so I think for me and my personality, the way that I am designed, I took that it became fear-based. So I think a lot of it, my grandmother actually was my main caregiver for a lot of my formative years and she was a Mm -hmm. nurse and I think she was very overprotective of me. So I think, you know, like I just, you know, you inadvertently just get into this mindset of, you know if anything goes wrong, it's a big deal. Um, So I noticed even early on, like, even if I had a stomach ache, I'm like, oh, no, I think I'm dying, you know. (laughs) Um, And it was like, she could come in and be like, okay, like, here's what we need to do. Um, But I think that that was kind of something, as I've been thinking about it, that Mm. really formed my thought life and then my behaviors Mm. out of like what I believed was important, that's how I behaved. So, you know, being very safe and not getting dirty, trying not to get hurt. Um, So yeah, that was one of the main formative things that I remember in my home growing up. Wow. That has shaped so yeah. Me.
0: So the thing that that was supposed to be said, that was supposed to be sweet, actually created
1: anxiety
0: mm. and fear in you. Yeah. yeah. And, I and kind of as a I control look, too.
1: Yes. And as I look back and I look at my caregivers, and I can see now as an adult what I couldn't see as a child is mm-hmm. it's their own fears coming right. out, you know, and how they mm. parent maybe where they overprotect or underprotect. And so now I can kind of look at that through the lens as a parent myself and see, wow, like they were figuring it out and there were things, you know, we all do that as parents, you know, we, Mm -hmm. based on our own fears or Mm -hmm. successes we parent out of those places. So I could very clearly see, you know, um, my grandmother wanting us to be safe, and so the right. overprotection,
0: yeah. kind of. So
1: I was very, you know, I didn't take a lot of risks. I was very like, <laughs> you know, I'm the good kid. You bubble I do what I'm told. <laughs> <laughs> Uh,
0: yeah.
1: Funny. Yeah. yeah. And I can understand that as a
0: grandma now, too. It's like your grandchildren are so precious. So you're just like, please be safe. Yes. Just, you know, it's even more so than your own children. So yeah. um it's funny how we so we talk about that in our story work with freedom movement of how we tell each other these narratives as children, and they become like, The purpose in our our lives moving forward, it's like a secret agreement we make with ourselves because we hear this thing over and over, whether good or bad, right? Right. So really interesting. So in your opening chapter, you talked about not being alone in the journey of mental health. And I just wanted you to talk about a time when you felt alone in your struggles and no one listened or they dismissed you.
1: Mm. So there's two things that I can identify as I've thought about this. One of them was when I was really understanding that what I was facing was out of the realm of normalcy, especially Mm -hmm. as a young new mom, I was recommended a book and it was about faith and mental health. You know, someone, the the person who recommended it to me had not read it, but a dear friend of hers said it just saved her life. It was so helpful. And There were many things in the book that were beautiful, pointing us back to scripture, but the author made a clear stance against medication for any Mm -hmm. kind of mental health issue and a clear stance that anxiety and depression were not medical issues. They were spiritual issues. And so this was kind of my first information as, you know, right. as a believer, I'm struggling, you know, with these mm-hmm. really dark thoughts right. and just feeling like, okay, like this person that I trust, you know, she recommended this book. And I was like, oh, I must really be messed up. If I'm, yeah. um, if I'm feeling this way and this guy is telling me I'm supposed to feel completely different and it's yeah. all a spiritual issue. And that just rocked me to my core. So I fell mm-hmm. into a deep, um, crisis of faith uh, as well Um, as identity. You know, how could I be a Christian and be feeling this way, feeling hopeless? And something else was, you know, feeling alone. And it was like being alone in the middle of a crowd. So I would say like, as I think about it, it's like, it's not that I was alone. It Mm. was that the people that I was with that were in my close circle of friends just had not experienced what I was going through. So Mm -hmm. when I just made like a little comment, you know, to kind of test the waters, I remember this one time in my small group, we were sitting, you know, in someone's home on the couch. And I, one of the gals was a mom and her kids were a few years older than mine. And I just kind of said, you know, Hey, like sometimes when I'm driving, when I'm crossing through the intersection, it's like, I can see us getting into a car accident and I can like Mm -hmm. feel it all. And I'm so afraid. I was like, have you ever felt something like that? And I will never forget the look of terror on her face. Like she had no idea what I was talking about. And so I just, as a young I didn't have all the information I have now. Mm. I took that as, oh, the way that she feels is now the way everyone feels. I just automatically put her response as the default response everyone else in the world will probably have for me. So then I just didn't talk about it. Anymore. Do you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? I know exactly what
0: you mean (laughs) because that happened to me too. I used to have dreams of like flying over the bridge with my kids and just like, what would happen if the car just went over the bridge? And I'm like, why am I thinking those things? But no one talked about that. And then even trying to bring it up to a doctor, he was just like, oh, you have baby blues. Like you wouldn't go to that story, but you would be like, I feel a little weird or a little off. And they're like, you're fine and so you you would just say okay I'm fine I guess but yeah to bring it up to someone else and they're like we've never had those thoughts then you're so the shame (laughs) comes from that where you're like well I got to bury that because obviously something's wrong with me and not them (laughs) it's all me and no everyone else feels normal I'm the I'm the weirdo (laughs) yeah exactly
1: Yes. So I, I, yes, just taking one person's Mm. response and then just assuming that's my personality. It's almost, what do they call it? A fortune telling, (laughs) like everyone else (laughs) in the world is going to feel the same way. So I might as well just not even bring it up.
0: So I want to dive a little, I know this is a little off, you know, our questionnaire stuff, but, um, I was reading in parts of your book, which I, Thank you so much for talking about postpartum, Mm. because I think it's such an important topic. And my daughter and I touched upon that, too, when I was Mm. interviewing her over Mother's Day. And um, it really struck me how great you you wrote about the time when you had such a huge anxiety attack that you thought you were dying and you Mm. fainted in the front of your house because you were like screaming for help because your kids were in the house and you were like, I'm going to pass out. And you did. Talk to me about that day. Like, what did that feel like?
1: Yeah. So, I was part of a mom's group called MOPS, mm-hmm. Mothers of mm-hmm. Preschoolers at that time. And we had actually just gotten home from a meeting that morning. And I had, I felt God asking me to be brave and share a little bit of my mm-hmm. story. This was a couple of years after that initial time that I mentioned something to my friend. And we had a private Facebook page. And so I had just said, hey, um, here's a little bit of what's happening. I'm noticing that this is affecting my kids. My kids were mm. one in three at the time. Mm. And so I posted on that page and the, the stories that came in and the solidarity and the resources were incredible. And I had no idea in that moment that only three weeks later, I was going to get home from a meeting and have this episode. So mm. it was, you know, like when you're going through something, you're just trying to figure out what's going on. So you're reaching out for help. And I right. made the very wise decision to, once I got my kids down for my nap, for their nap, I sat down on the couch, snuggled up under a blanket and got onto WebMD to mm. see what my symptoms were. So of course I'm dying, you know, <laughs> <Let's> Google, <it>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Google, Dr. Google, um, And it was in that moment, you know, and I had, I could feel like something was really off that morning. So I had even texted my father-in-law who lives really close by. And I said, you know, you might Mm. want to just swing by later to check on me. I just don't feel quite right. And just within a few minutes of being on my phone, looking through symptoms, it was like all of a sudden I was like tingling, like from my head down into my arms, this heat washed Mm -hmm. over me my heart was pounding so hard. I, I, It felt like it was going to explode. And I yeah. thought, oh, this is it. Like I have stressed myself out to the yeah. point of I am having a heart attack and I'm about to die. That's mm-hmm. what it felt like. So I called my neighbor immediately and the poor thing, she was in the car driving at the time. And I'm like, are you home? I think I'm having a heart attack. And (laughs) so she called 911 and called her husband. And I mean, they were there within a matter of minutes. Yeah. But I do. I remember I just all I could do was get from my couch to the front yeah. door and open the door because my dog was barking. So I knew the male person was nearby. <sighs> yeah. So I, I opened the door and I just screamed for help and I just <laughs> collapsed in the doorway. Oh. And and long story short, you know, it's like, they rush me to the ER. Mm-hmm. We're there for hours. My husband meets me there within like half an hour. We're there for hours. They've running all these tests mm-hmm. and it all comes back normal. Mm-hmm. I'm fine. Nothing's wrong.
0: <laughs> what and I'm is like, normal? are you
1: kidding me right <laughs> yeah. now? Yeah. And, and I remember like, just as I was about this, they were about to discharge me. The gal was like, I think you must just be stressed. <laughs> And I was like, oh really? Like, I felt like I was literally about to die. Yeah. So back to that Facebook post that I made, one of the gals private messaged me and she had just begun an internship at a Christian counseling center here in the mm-hmm. Bay Area. And she had just said, if you ever find that you want to talk to someone, because that can prove mm-hmm. helpful when just mm-hmm. trying to discern what's going on. Here are the names and phone numbers of three people that I have come to know and trust that I would recommend should you ever feel that you want to reach out. So, so after having spent hours mm-hmm. in the ER and coming home more ashamed and confused than yeah. ever, that Saturday morning, I the minute I woke up, I called the first name on that mm-hmm. list, and I was in her office that Monday morning, and... It was like after 15 minutes of sitting down with her, we realized mm-hmm. I was battling generalized anxiety disorder and clinical mm-hmm. depression. And it was like, oh my goodness, this darkness for- has a yeah. name. Yeah. Yes. And we have tools to move forward Yeah, and fight
0: it together. So good. I think you said some really great things there is that um, yeah, you can do all the medical tests in the world, but, uh, Mm. we also need to name what it is that is bothering us and call it out because that is probably the most important thing is to be able to walk with God through these hard situations that are very physical. Um, aside from mental too, like feeling like you're going to have a heart attack, like, And also, I think something really important to get from that story is that you know when you're starting to go downhill, get the help before you start having the heart attack feelings, right? We always like stick it out like, oh, it's all right. Let me just ignore those feelings. Let me just ignore that trigger, that situation, whatever, and just keep moving on. We just keep trudging along, trudging along. But Mm -hmm. it will eventually catch up with us, right? And it really is about setting your heart, your mind, your voice free to be able to name the things that have hurt you before that you're afraid of that, that have the harm that's been done to you, name it, call it out. Let's get to a place of the beginning stages of healing, walk through the Mm -hmm. grief with God, be able to tell him what is really going on and, and then get to the deep rooted issue of that to begin the healing process instead of going to a church where people say, just pray it away. You'll be fine. Yeah. That's behavior modification, which you know, we will always pray to God. That is the first place we go to, but Absolutely. we need the and both, right? Yes. We need both. We need the physical help of people coming alongside to say like, my body doesn't feel right. Yes. My mind doesn't feel right. Yes. How can I pray with God to ask him to show me what these things are, name those things, walk through the grief with him and help me get to a better state of mental health. Um, So I love, I loved that story because it was so raw and so Uh honest. And I just wish that I had had somebody to help me through those years. I often said, I, I white knuckled motherhood for 10 years, Uh just trying to pretend being a good Christian, right? Like I love Jesus with all my heart. I'm feeling weird inside. Like, what does that mean? Well, you got to pray more. You got to pray more. And I'm like, I'm praying like all the time and I just feel off. And, you know, unfortunately I didn't get the, the therapy or the medication or whatever it was that I may have needed. Now, yeah. Did God help me through that? Yeah, like I eventually got through that, but wouldn't it have been nicer had I been yeah. a different kind of mom during those years when I was really struggling? you know, to make sense of all of it. So I I really want young moms to understand there's no shame in your game of going and asking for help and saying like, I feel weird. Like I'm having these bizarre thoughts and it's not okay. And my, my whole mind and body feels bizarre. And I, and I love Jesus with all my heart, but I'm still feeling these things. What do I do? We have to start that conversation because there's too many stories that we hear in the news of moms that just lose it completely. And I, I get that. Yeah. I'm like, I can never understand getting to that place. Yeah. But I get where they're going with it. I, I understand until like,
1: you have your own kids. Yeah,
0: <laughs> totally get it. So yeah. I loved in the section of your book, you walk us through like beliefs, values, choices, results in the section. Mm. So can you explain a little bit of that process? How did you get to those?
1: Yes, um, and so, that really marries really well with what you were just talking about. About it's really about getting to the root of mm-hmm. the belief that we're facing about ourselves. Mm-hmm. When that belief began, and yeah. it, it's this was inspired by something I learned in one of my healing journey courses, uh, a, a course called Life Skills, and it's the belief tree. So the idea mm-hmm. is our roots affect mm-hmm. our fruit. Our nice. beliefs affect our behavior. So in these moments where we're feeling like the only one, like I, I love Jesus, but I'm feeling hopeless. How can this mm-hmm. be possible? Mm-hmm. So that's the reality of what I'm feeling. So now what I believe about myself is I'm a bad Christian. I'm a bad mm-hmm. mom. So mm-hmm. all of these Core beliefs start taking root. And what I realized throughout my healing journey is that a lot of these lies that I was believing about myself weren't new lies. They were just taking on a new life. So they were already fears that I had had growing up. You know, I'm not enough. I'm not worth your time. You're going to leave me when things get hard. Those were all things that I was already battling. So then becoming a wife and a mom, and then falling into this pit of despair when I'm holding everything I've ever prayed for. Like I had everything yeah. I had ever wanted. Okay. And such I'm such a ready. good
0: point. Yes. yes. Cause it's like, you can be happy. Like I was so yes. happy. I had a beautiful husband have these beautiful children. Why am I not happy?
1: Mm-hmm. Oh my
0: gosh. That's yes. such a
1: good point. Yes. So it has nothing to do with that. Yes. And I, and I still was having genuinely happy moments. So it's not that every moment was full of despair and people were very confused. You know, people that know me were like, how in the world could you have depression? Like you're the happiest person I know. And what I have to convey is that's equally real. I am, I, I do have moments mm-hmm. of happiness. I am thankful for what I have, right. but mm-hmm. there is this, mm-hmm. something is wrong in my brain. And for me, it was right. that fight or flight mode. It never turned totally. off. So everywhere mm-hmm. I looked was doom and despair. Someone was someone I loved or myself was going to get hurt and not only hurt a little bit, hurt a lot and mm-hmm. probably die. So yeah. it's like, when I can get down to the root of the belief that I have started to believe about myself and working through this, and I will tell you it is the hardest thing I have ever done. Healing is hard work because digging down into the roots, especially if there's childhood trauma, Mm -hmm. that is hard work. And there was a lot of things from my childhood that I had not fully healed from yet. Mm -hmm. So it was like, I've described it several times as like walking in. Do you remember that show, What Not to Wear from like the 90s? Of course. (laughs) Like when you walk into that room and it's like a 365 degree mirror of everything that's wrong. Yeah. They're like, let's point out all your flaws. (laughs) So I was constantly like, not only was I self-sabotaging myself, I was convinced everyone else felt the same way about me as I felt about me. You're Mm. not doing a good enough job. You're such a bad mom. How could you possibly, you know, feel this way? What's wrong with you? And so by working through with my therapist and learning how to label those beliefs as lies, like those are not true things. I feel that way. That doesn't Mm -hmm. make them true. Mm -hmm. And then learning, okay, how do I then reframe this and make a true statement about how I'm feeling So one of the most impactful moments I had in therapy was, it was this idea of I'm a bad mom because my mess is going to mess my family up. My mess is going to mess my kids up. And I remember sitting down with my therapist and I was just like, oh my gosh, my kids are going to end up in therapy because of me. (laughs) And I mean, right. It was my worst fear because that would prove to the world that I was a bad mom. And whatever I was doing had messed them up. And you didn't keep
0: them safe.
1: (laughs) Right. And I didn't keep them safe. Yes. That was the narrative. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. So we sat there for a moment and then she just gently leaned in and asked, Andrea, is that the worst thing that could happen to them? Wow. Ending up in therapy. And of course, my initial thought was, well, of course it would. But of course, as we sat there and I realized No, like I am learning these amazing tools that have thus benefited my family and my children. So we then reframed it from, okay, I'm a bad mom was how I felt, but that was a lie. The true Mm -hmm. statement was being a mom is hard for me sometimes. I don't always love my children well. That was a true statement that equally said I'm a mess, but I'm not Mm -hmm. altogether useless. Totally. And so reframing that initial core belief. Yeah. And then that changed then how I was processing how I felt about myself, how I Mm -hmm. how I felt other people thought about me and therefore how I was behaving not only toward myself, but toward other people. And it shifted that narrative
0: so good. Oh, that was a mouthful. I love it. <laughs> the, <laughs> the worst thing that can be is therapy. Well, they could be on drugs and not going to therapy. So let's put them on <laughs> right. therapy. Um yeah, cuz all the rest of us numbed out with well, that's
1: just me. <laughs>
0: N- numbed I'm out with drugs and alcohol, right? <laughs> um so bringing up uh medication in all of this to wrap this up is uh what what is it uh that's become part of your journey and what do you think the fear the stigma as a Christian brings on when you talk about taking medication?
1: Mhm. I think a lot of it is just the pendulum swing of our cultural norms as mm-hmm. science has evolved and discoveries have been made. You know, I think about 50 years ago, 60 years ago, like when our grandparents were struggling, when our parents were struggling, mm-hmm. they were just put in an asylum. They were right. electroshock therapy. And and I think, you know, there is some toxic theology that we have become mm-hmm. to believe as a culture that things like prayer and going to scripture have become misused. As you said mm. earlier, prayer and reading the Bible, those are essential yes. to our walk with Christ. Those are not totally. just things we can say, no, those aren't important because yeah. I need a doctor, Yeah, but it's also not at the cost of saying, I don't need a doctor because I have prayer right. and scripture. Right. What I have come to believe throughout this nine-year journey is mm. that God has designed and crafted individual people to do mm. the work of scientists and nurses and doctors and therapists Great girl, yes. to be his hands and feet on yes. this earth yes. it's not replacing him it right. is like coming alongside it's the outpouring of his love and wisdom totally. and now there's always still going to be bad therapists and bad doctors yeah. like that's just part of life well, and that people, is where the wisdom is exactly. all human yeah That is where the wisdom of prayer and scripture comes in. We need that to help us make good decisions. But we have to be so careful not to send someone away and tell them to pray Mm -hmm. and read their Bible when they are... Feeling, I mean, suicidal, people can die. And I know that's really heavy, but that's the truth. It's the truth. People need to know that there is help. And that's one of the things I love so much about the church that I attend and serve at Mm. is that they take mental health very seriously and they are partnered up. Mm. We even have a care pastor on staff that matches people where he he meets the end of his training. He refers to trained professionals. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so... I believe that leaning into trained professionals is such an important thing through the wisdom of prayer and scripture as we go forward. Yeah. And
0: also, uh, just to point that out too, is um, you, through prayer and scripture, can really process who is the right therapist or doctor for mm-hmm. you. You don't have to just pick somebody and say, well, they must be good because they have a degree on their wall and, yes. you know, they're in practice. So that's, if you don't, if you feel the Holy spirit saying, yeah, I don't think this is a person for you, please go out and find another one. Like keep trying. Also, I hear people saying like, well, I tried therapy and it didn't work. Therapy is not a one-stop shop. Like you don't just go to therapy (laughs) and then just, okay, that's it. I'm cured. It's like, that's the other, I think, narrative that happens in Christian cultures. It's like, we're supposed to be healed, like completely healed, but things will come up throughout your life that will trigger you again. Therapy, I have, I tell people this all the time. I, my therapist is on speed dial. (laughs) It's like (laughs) therapy is something you go to when you need it. It's not a one and done. Like there are things that will come up where you're like, man, I just, I'm ruminating this in my head, in my heart. It's hard for me to get past this. You need a professional to help you ask the right questions, get through this. Why are you feeling this way? Like, tell me more, right? It's all about communication with somebody who really is trained in specific things. And I would say if you have a specific issue please reach out to a specific therapist. Don't just go, don't go to a family and marriage therapist if you're suffering yeah. through sexual trauma. Like you yes. need to go to a sexual trauma therapist. So really do your research and um, seek out those people. There's plenty of Christian counselors that specialize in these kind of things. They will help you with medications when needed. If you can, you know, get off the medication after a time, that's great. if you need it, like they'll adjust like, whatever that is because then when you can be more clear about your life and about moving forward in your life in a positive way it brings you closer to god right yes. because now you have a real relationship with him where you can say like thank you for bringing these people alongside of me thank you lord for listening to my heart thank you for helping my mind like you have yes. more praiseworthy prayers right because He understands how he made you. Also, people forget Jesus was half man, half God. Jesus had all the emotions. He went to the garden three times begging God to take this pain away because he knew it was going to hurt. He knows we hurt in this world. Like our pain is real, but he took it for us, right? Because he knew he's like, these people on earth are going to struggle, Yes. So yes, I will take it. Right. And so I think about that when I heard that story, I was like, wow, I didn't realize. Yeah. He went back to the garden three times and asked oh. God, please take this away from me. It hurts too much. Yeah. And people forget that. They just think like this veil of God, like it's holy, it's reverent. It's all these things. It's also painful. He yes. knew the pain. He gave us these emotions. Like we have to stop pretending that we are completely healed because God took away. Yes, he makes you a new person. So you aren't that same person you were before. But also that doesn't take away your emotions. He doesn't take away your memories. We have to stop like real. We have to realize these people that have struggled through really, really bad heartache or even not so bad heartache, but like really things that they struggle with day in and day out. Your memory doesn't erase just because you become a Christian, right? <laughs> Ooh, that. Yeah. So yes. anyway, I could talk to you forever I'm on the, this subject because yes.
1: I it's so much. There was one thing I'd love to touch on really quickly. Absolutely. You healing. And I just want to speak to that really quickly. Because in my desperate moment of, of prayer, when I was begging God, heal me, take it away, do an immediate yeah. miracle, like use me, Lord, as a testimony. <laughs> The thing is, I took his silence as, as a like lack of faith on my part. But what I can see now mm. is that, number one, he is the same good God when he does an immediate healing mm. as when he heals us slowly through the storms of life. So good. Number two, he was answering my prayers. He yeah. just wasn't answering them in the ways I was asking him to. Exactly. So he was answering my prayers by giving me the courage and bravery to reach out to that on my Facebook group with my mom's group, he was giving me the courage to go to therapy and all Mm -hmm. through, you know, dig down into those roots. So I just want people to hear that if you're not getting that immediate healing that you're praying for, because Mm -hmm. I think that's where most of us go, as Jesus did, as you mentioned, we We want God to show up and show off and take it away because he can. But Mm -hmm. Sometimes he has a greater purpose in Hold not it. healing us immediately mm-hmm. and walking with us through the storm. And the verse that I cling to throughout this is Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. And it says, But now the Lord who created you, O Israel, and you can just put your name in there, mm-hmm. O Andrea, says, Don't be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters and great trouble, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you for I am the Lord, your God, your Savior, the Holy One of Israel.
0: Oh, so good. Thank oh. you so much, Andrea. And also, I can just say God makes your mess a masterpiece. Amen. Amen. <laughs> So that is all we have for today, peeps. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I have. And um, please go out and get Andrea's book. It's available on Amazon. We will put all the links uh, below in the show notes. And until next time, we will see you later. Bye, peeps. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you want to get connected with other women who share your unmothered heart, head on over to my private unmothered Facebook community group. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review for this podcast to help me share this message with other listeners. All the links mentioned in today's episode will be in the show notes below. Bye, peeps!